Welcome to the Refinitiv Sustainability Perspectives Podcast, where our goal is to engage and inform our audience from investors to asset managers and portfolio managers to sustainability leaders and those involved in ESG and sustainable finance. I'm Kisa Shreen. Today, we're talking about sustainability trends in the automotive industry and how the industry is transforming to become more sustainable. We're speaking with David Lubin and Timothy Nixon, both from Constellation Research and Technology and co-contributors with the Refinitiv to the report, Sustainability Trends and the Automotive Industry, Truckification and Electrification. You can access the full report using the link in the episode description. Now let's dive right in. David, could you please tell us about the top three focus areas of the report? Sure, uh, I'd love to. Uh, Refinitiv asked us to take a deep dive look at the automobile sector because of how important it is uh, in the overall push to decarbonize uh, the economy. When we uh, undertook the report, we decided to first take a look back at the last decade, the last 10 years, uh, and see what had happened in terms of uh, market uh, trends uh, in the auto sector. Uh, and that uh, trend can be summarized in, in, in one word in our report, truckification, the rise of SUVs, uh, which has uh, significantly complicated the decarbonization effort. So one, one uh, piece of the report is looking at uh, the whole truckification trend, uh, who played uh, and what happened. Uh, to our emissions footprint as a result. Uh, and, and of course, the story is it went way up. Uh, the second uh, aspect of the report was to look at how the major automakers, the 26 major automakers in the world, uh, have prepared for uh, the effort to decarbonize uh, in the 2020 to 2030 period. And the third piece of the report, which we'll talk about uh, as well uh, later today, uh, is looking at uh, the auto sector from the investor's view. Who, which companies are prepared, uh, best prepared to take advantage of the decarbonization opportunities uh, and uh, manage the risks among the 26 major automakers? Those are the three pieces. Wow, very good. And I'd like to hear more about the trends that are complicating the decarbonization efforts for automakers. Timothy, could you share with us, is there a barrier to profitability involved? And what are some of the other complicating factors that you're taking into account? Sure. Well, there are a few, a few trends which are emerging that certainly will um, create concerns around profitability for some of the auto manufacturers who are not able to adapt. And these trends um, are primarily regulatory. So we're seeing increasing numbers of jurisdictions, both national and state and city, impose targets for you know, fossil-free uh, uh, transportation from automobiles, so essentially banning uh, new cars that aren't electric by a certain date. And this, this list continues to grow. We're seeing a particular focus in, in Europe and, and in South Asia, but I would expect that, uh, that to continue and spread as new jurisdictions, potentially even with the Biden administration, introduce new regulations. So regulation is one driver. Another, of course, is, is investors. So we're, we're seeing an increasing premium coming from investors and rewarding companies that are able to show uh, either a, an existing track record of decarbonization in their product 
um, or, you know, real uh, concrete forward-looking planning on how they're going to decarbonize their fleet going forward. And finally, I would say that, you know, alongside the, the pandemic, um, we're starting to see the, you know, the power of consumer demand, uh, a demand that says, I want to uh, supply uh, and, and fund a world that's healthy, healthy for me and healthy for my grandkids. So alongside, alongside investors and regulators, cons consumers are taking a seat at the table, making life quite a bit more complicated for companies that can't figure out how to decarbonize their services and products uh, with enough profitability. And just so we're clear here, with the regulatory trends piece, there are actually bans around new non-electric cars. What, what regions are we seeing this in? Yeah, so pri primarily you're seeing this now in in Europe um, and in and and in South Asia. So so uh, Japan, sorry, South and, and and East Asia. So Japan, China, Korea, and Europe are leading the charge on this. But again, it's it's not the kind of thing that that's going to stay isolated as you know the increasing interest in in decarbonized product takes hold. Okay, and that's a great segue into who is doing this well. So and I'd love to hear from both of you here. Could you share who is making progress when it comes to climate impact management? And what have they done to manage this to be forward thinking around sustainability and around transition risks? It can be from a country perspective as well as from um, the, the industry perspective. Sure. Well, if you look, if you look at the numbers, just picking up on what Tim said a moment ago, if you if you look at the actual numbers uh, uh, in terms of uh, grams of CO2 per kilometer of the vehicles that were actually sold uh, in the 2010 to 2020 period, the first half of the decade through to 2015 looked like uh, we were on the down the downhill slope. Um, quickly moving towards a, uh, a high efficiency, uh, low emissions automobiles. And then around 2015, the whole picture flattened out. Uh, and in fact, uh, the trends in, in many uh, uh, companies and in many countries began to turn negative, more emissions per kilometer of the fleets that were actually sold. And of course, that was this, uh, the, the rise of uh, the big SUVs. Uh, the mid to large sized SUVs, really across the board. While that was, while that SUV trend uh, was taking place, some companies uh, were, uh, like Toyota, uh, were still continuing to push their um, hybrid uh, and, uh, uh, and high efficiency vehicles, though they were being overwhelmed by their great success in selling much larger vehicles. If you look uh, at the present moment uh, and try to uh, cast your eye forward, what you see uh, is a kind of interesting picture. Uh, among the companies that uh, have the most aggressive plans uh, for uh, decarbonization and electrification, uh, like uh, VW and, and even uh, Dalmer, uh, and now more recently Hyundai and Kia, those are companies that uh, have relatively little experience uh, with hybrids and high efficiency vehicles over the past decade. And some of the companies with uh, a great deal of experience, the, the, of course the leader being Toyota uh, with uh, hybrid vehicles have been least clear uh, about or, or less, much less clear 
about their plans going forward. So we've got a, a, an environment now when we, in the report, map out uh, the history file versus the projection uh, for the future based on current uh, uh, statements uh, of uh, plans by the companies, what we see is uh, very uh, aggressive plans by those by several of the companies less uh, experienced with alternative vehicle production. And, uh, and interestingly, uh, less clear and seemingly less aggressive plans from some of those who have been uh, at the forefront of uh, pushing alternative drive vehicles. So uh, this is a moment in which I guess I would say the market is in flux. Uh, there is going to be a significant reordering uh, of the leadership, uh, we think, in the marketplace, simply based on, uh, on the comparison of past performance to future projections. So, Timothy, if we do take that into consideration, what sorts of plan items, bullet point, key ideas should an investor look for if they're looking at what makes a good plan, what makes um, a successful plan in terms of these hybrids or these high efficiency cars? What should they look for in plans from companies? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the most obvious thing is does a, an auto manufacturer have a trans, transparent, uh, detailed, um, multi-year or even multi-decade plan for how they're going to take their current fleet um, and introduce, you know, de decarbonization um, consistent with uh, the, the assumptions of a two-degree world. So um, the, the, the deal here is that this is not just um, about automators, uh, automakers competing with each other. It's about um, automakers operating um, in line with uh, a planet that, uh, you know, we'll all recognize uh, a decade from now. Um, and that's a, that's a moving target, the, the policy target is, because conditions are changing, frankly, worsening all the time, as is the, the actual competitive situation for these automakers. And, and, uh, and on top of that, if you take a company um, like VW and you say, okay, VW, it doesn't appear you've been able to produce any electric vehicles at scale. You have no demonstrated capacity to do that. And yet you've got all these plans to produce a decarbonized fleet. And then you ask the question, well, how many workers is it going to take to produce electric cars versus internal combustion engines? And then you start asking questions around the, the, the possible economic consequences for the communities in which a giant automaker like VW operates and the impact on employment levels. And you start to realize that, you know, this isn't just a big deal for an auto manufacturer. This isn't just a big deal for the planet and our climate. It's a big deal for whole communities, tens of thousands of employees and hundreds of thousands of people in those communities. So the, you know, the stakes are, are higher than they might appear. So that sounds like it's um, one type of exposure, perhaps, that that auto industry leaders need to look out for. Are there other, is that the definition of an exposure? And if so, what are the other exposure elements that auto industry leaders need to look out for? David, what do you have to say yeah. about that? Well, I, I was just going to pick up on, on, on your original question. What we tried to do in this uh, effort was to turn a lot of these issues into uh, fact-based, uh, rule-driven analytics that uh, we think can help generate some 
uh, insight and some tools for monitoring uh, progress of companies in this transition period. Uh, so in particular, we tried to create some analytics in which we looked at all of the announced plans of the automakers. Some announced introductions of models, some announced uh, you know, in different time periods, and some announced actual uh, production targets uh, for electric vehicles uh, on a yearly basis. And so we've tried to uh, blend uh, together using a rule-based set of algorithms, a, uh, if you will, a, uh, a, a score that gives us a, a way to index the ambition of a company's uh, targets for the future. Uh, it it uh, allows us to compare on a, a level ground uh, companies that provide uh, more or less information uh, particularly between now and 2025. So share with us some of those some of those specific risk measurement tools. That's just a, a great concept. Could you name the top three or the top five of what they are? Uh, yeah. So well, we we did this. We we of course first and foremost uh, believe that uh, people interested, investors and other stakeholders interested in this topic, need to move beyond thinking about scope one, two, and three uh, measures as being uh, the key measures uh, to look at company performance. There's too much, too many assumptions and too many, too much wiggle room in how those numbers are created uh, to make it then particularly meaningful in the auto sector. So for us, the, the, the gold standard metric, if you will, uh, is the uh, grams of CO2 uh, per kilometer of the actual sold fleet of each of the automakers. So we begin there with a, with a uh, what we think is a good comparison of all the major automakers on uh, on, on grams of CO2 uh, of the sold fleet. We the the second key thing, of course, is to look at the rate of change uh, in that number. So we uh, we com we calculated a, a long term uh, average over the past uh, five plus years of annual change uh, in the grams of CO2 per kilometer of the whole fleet. We, we also thought it was critical to uh, look at the, uh, the composition of the sold fleet of each of the automakers in terms of uh, the, uh, in effect, the, the ratio of high efficiency vehicles to uh, all others in their fleet. So those achieving a high, um, you know, a high uh, mile per gallon or uh, or low gram of CO2 per uh, mile gives us another uh, look at how much of the uh, of the production comes from uh, these high efficiency vehicles. Uh, and of course, uh, I you know there are about a dozen of these, but, but of course it, it, they all roll together uh, into a couple of key metrics. One being our sustainable value ratio, in which we look at all of the metrics that uh, reflect how well a company is pursuing the opportunity that the business opportunity that comes from. Uh, high efficiency uh, vehicles, alternative drive, electric, and plug-in hybrid vehicles, uh, in comparison to all the risk uh, that, uh, factors that they're 
exposed to, which include geographic risk, uh, regulatory risk that's based on geography, uh, and uh, in, uh, and and uh, uh, other uh, uh, GHG risks uh, that result uh, from their production. Mm. Uh, and that gives us a really interesting kind of risk to opportunity ratio. It's a it's what we think mm -hmm. is the new key ratio for uh, sustainable investors. So it, it takes all these right. granular fact-based production-oriented metrics that are, uh, uh, that are tied to each of these major companies and, and then tries to look at both uh, the past and uh, future view of risk of opportunity uh, versus risk ratio for each of those makers and tells us uh, an awful lot uh, that we think uh, investors would want to know and gives us a chance each year uh, to see how the how that risk uh, opportunity ratio changes for a company. That's great. And Timothy, I want to want to bring you in on, on this too. We'll give you yeah. the last word here. Are there knock-on oh. effects for other industries? So outside of the automotive industry, are there knock-on effects for some of the other industries that you've seen with this? Yeah, well, so just this might surprise you, but I, I think I would start with the, the ESG rating industry. Because if, if you look at the way we're, we're analyzing uh, with Refinitiv, uh, the performance or readiness, risk readiness for, for this key sector, I mean, what you find at the top of our performance or risk readiness uh, list are, are companies like Tesla and BYD and Bake who do not perform at the top of more conventional ESG rating systems. Um, and that's because this is a look at something different. It's a look at operational and benchmarking data alongside ESG data. So I, I would argue that this, this work by Refinitiv and Constellation is the first step in a new direction towards a deeper understanding of, you know, ESG performance, climate impact readiness. And then, of course, to answer your, more question, your question more directly, I mean, there are many companies that are positioning in sectors that are positioning themselves for this uh, huge opportunity coming from electrification of transportation. I mean, BP, for example, is positioning itself as a source of, of charging stations uh, for electric industry. And, and, and many utilities are also converting themselves into suppliers of clean electricity so that when, you know, the conscientious Tesla buyer goes to plug in her Tesla and feels, you know, hopefully good about that, you know, it, it, it is a good thing because the energy is coming from renewable sources um, and not from, say, coal-burning uh, power plants. So there's there's a number of, of you know, utility, oil and gas, and other sector knock-on effects, which can, when they all come together, actually build on each other and, and create even more forward momentum for global electrification. Thank you and great conversation, David and Timothy. First of all, looking at the truckification trend, we're looking at 26 major automakers and how they are moving forward with decarbonization. Some of the trends that you spoke about, regulatory, banning new non-electric cars, and we see that happening in Europe as well as in Asia. Investors are rewarding companies that show a good decarbonization track record. And finally, of course, consumer demand, consumers demanding change around decarbonization.
And who is doing this well? Well, companies who have sold SUVs, but also who continue to move forward with their hybrid vehicles and high efficiency vehicles. The plans that we really consider to be top tier plans for companies who are really doing this right, auto manufacturers who have transparent multi-year or even multi-decade plans toward decarbonization, as well as those companies that are operating in line with broader defined goals. Finally, some key metrics around how companies are faring and how we get to the conclusions that we got to in the report. Grams of CO2 per kilometer of sold fleet of each automaker, looking at the rate of change in this number, and the composition of the sold fleet, high efficiency vehicles as compared to other vehicles. Of course, data being very important, all aspects of the measurement, benchmarking data and ESG data to really give a deeper understanding of climate readiness. Also understanding how the knock-on effect happens, how other industries are being repositioned because of this decarbonization. An example is utilities positioning themselves as suppliers of clean energy. And of course, we look broader to the social area. There's an economic consequence for communities. Employment levels are impacted. David, Timothy, great conversation. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Great to be with you. Also, again, access the report, sustainability trends and the automotive industry, truckification and electrification using the link in the episode description. Thank you all so much for joining. We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think about the podcast? Leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. Thank you for joining. See you next time.